Welcome to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Uh, Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to The Forbes Factor, one of my favorite times of the week, because I get to hang out with you guys. I know, right? Uh, I have a fun guest today, and I have some fun things to share. Let's see, where shall I start? Oh, yeah, I know. I'm going to start with the idea that I just launched a new training today called Make Money with Forbes. Oh, my gosh. I all of a sudden realized that a lot of the things that I take for granted, a lot of the tools and techniques and things that I do to earn seven, eight, and nine figures, I know, right? Uh, most people don't know. And it never dawned on me until just recently to share them the way I'm doing it. And I created this training. There are a couple hundred people on the, on the line today. And it was magical. It was magical because by tomorrow, any of them who decides to will have actually made more money. I know. I'm just very, very proud of that. I'm excited. Uh, it is April. It's the first, my first broadcast of April, uh, which is my birthday month. And you know how much I love gifts and love and all those other fun things. <laughs> all right, guys. No, I do take it very seriously. And I'm actually heading off to Costa Rica for a month with my daughter. That is what the laptop lifestyle will afford you. Um, and be broadcasting from down there, doing two masterminds while we're there. But for my birthday, hanging out at the base of a volcano that has 35 different hot tub pools, all made from fresh mineral springs. Yeah, I'm turning 85 and don't I look good? (laughs) No, that's not true. That's not true. Um, And I also can see you guys because we're broadcasting live on Facebook and I'll pop in my clubhouse because that's my new favorite platform. You know why? No, it's not because you get to meet really cool people. It's not because you stay up all now. It's because I don't have to wear makeup and I can broadcast and it's fun. <laughs> and my guest knows all about this because he never has to do his hair. He doesn't have to do his eyelash. He doesn't have to well, Maybe he does. I don't know uh, what he's doing, but mm, I don't think he has to. I think he's wonderful all by himself. I do want to welcome some of our friends here. I've got Elif. Elif all the way from London is here. Terry and Ashley Mellencamp. Ashley, we're talking to your guy upstairs. That's why I was almost a little late about Shopify and blowing up the store's You know, guys, I have a lot of isms that I live by, and I talk about them. I used to call them magnetisms because I think they started out as actual magnets on my mom's refrigerator. One is that you are the sum of the obstacles you overcome. Yeah, you know what's great about this one is that when life goes sour, you go, yay. Life happens for you, not to you. Life goes sour, you go, yay. Because we want to take all of the negative things that have happened to you and turn them into the fuel to move you forward. That is what uh, I seem to have done for me and anyone with the sound of my voice, is that life isn't fair or perfect or maybe not even by design. I'm not so sure. This is, I'm just going through it. I don't even know if it's my first time here. Who knows? I listen to everybody's theory about everything. I have lived on ashrams. I have traveled the world. I have talk to people and kings and princes and, and people on the street all around the world. And none of us seem to have any more answers than the other. Some people think they do, and those people I steer away from. I'm not a big fan of people who will tell you that their belief, whatever it is, is right. It's just their belief. In fact, I often have people spell out the word believe, B-E, 
L-I-E-V-A-V-E. Oh, there's a little lie in the middle of that. Yeah, it's, it's just, a, just a way of, of me thinking. Um, there's some things I do believe in. You know, it's funny. I, I don't think I believe in gravity. But, you know, I'll drop this pen. Oh, and it falls. It doesn't matter if I believe in it or not. It still works. That's how I feel about manifesting. I don't know if you believe in it or not. It doesn't matter. If you think about things long and hard enough and you project them in the right way and you architect them and you speak them and you have a sense of joy in your heart and you give more than you get, all kind of fun things come to you. Yeah, that is not necessarily how I was taught growing up by certain institutions. So I live by my isms. Uh, and you guys can write some of these down, Olga, if you want in the chat. Uh, one of my other isms is that how you do something is how you do everything. Hmm. So my challenge for all of you listening is if you walk out of the grocery store and you take all your bags and you realize there was something underneath like some waters or something that you didn't pay for, they didn't charge you for it, what do you do? Now, if you hesitated for a moment, thought, well, you know, they'll never know, or I'm in a rush, I could just leave. Again, I'm not judging, I'm just asking you, what do you do? And how do you feel about what do you do? Are you the kind of person who goes back and pays for it because it's, is it the right thing to do? I'm not even going to put that judgment. Sometimes if something, you know, if they give you that 13th donut and a dozen, you don't give it back, that's part of the treat. So I'm karmically, Elif says you take it back, good for you. Now, again, I'm not going to judge you, but I will decide if I want to be in business with you. So Deidre, Lynn Kelly, she says honesty and karma. I got it. Grocery store, I'd go back as honesty is the only way. Thank you, Tacey. I'm loving my Tacey's my producer here on the network. Thank you. Thank you. So those three women I would do, I would do business with. But I'll tell you what, there's a couple of people who thought, hmm, I'll take it one step further. There is a bag of money in a brown paper bag, right? Sitting in the middle of a street, you're in the middle of nowhere, nobody on either side of you, you've been driving for miles, there's $25,000 in it. What do you do? What do you do? And it's just a question for all of you to think about it. And you know, um, honesty, who knows what, it, what is honesty? I'm just going to say, what do you do? And how do you feel about what you do? And how do you justify what you do? And I just want you to take a look at it. I don't want to be judgmental because I don't know if honesty as a word, is the best policy, Linda. You know why? Your friend walks in and she looks a little fat in that outfit. Are you the one to say, ooh, honestly, that makes you look fat? Or might you say, hmm, that's not the best outfit for you. Is it honest, not honest? Just, just again, testing the waters here. I would find the owner and give it back. Elif, let me share something with you. As sweet as that is, there is no owner. It is a brown paper bag full of $25,000 in the middle of a road for as far as you can see, there's nobody. There's no markings on it at all. Think about this, my girlfriend, with the big heart. What do you do? Do you give it to the police? Do you give it to charity? Do you keep it? And again, it's a conversation. And I'm, uh, so that's not honestly, what does that mean? You go to the police station, see if someone has reported the loss of the money. If not, they might give it back. Would be a, if not, they might give it back, which would be a bonus. You know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if I would do that. Think about it. Who knows? I, I'm, again, just asking you guys. I, I have a lot of honest people that I apparently listen to me, which I really like. And big-hearted, generous people. Good. I, see? All right. This is part of the conversation of hanging out with me. Being disruptive, just taking things and not always following what everyone else does just because everyone else is doing it to find out who the fabric of you is 
And then let's go one step deeper before I bring on my first guest and just talk about who are you? Do you love you? Do you think that you deserve great things coming to you? Do you sabotage yourself? Do you play small? You always say that you play small. You know, it's an interesting thing. And I just take a moment. That's what you're doing here on Forbes Factor today. As we're uncovering and continuing to uncover the secrets behind health, wealth, and happiness. All right. I would like to bring on Mr. Billy. I know he generously turned off his his camera for a second. Um, One of my new friends, and I've met some great friends. He's a fellow podcaster. He is brilliant at what he's done. I've listened to some of his work. He's also an ex-Tesla executive and the founder and CEO of Potify. Look at that nice little room that you're in. Billy Samoa, is it, I don't know. I don't know how to do the last name. So Billy, Salivi, that's a great name. Hi, Salivi. Where does that name come from? It's Lebanese. My dad and his, um, both of his parents are from Lebanon. Uh, Actually, his grandparents are from Lebanon. And so, yeah, it's a Lebanese last name. Most most people can't pronounce it, so you're not alone. (laughs) Believe me. When did they come here? You know, around the turn of the century, around 1900. So we've been, we've been in the U.S. for generations. And so what does it mean for you? What does Lebanese mean for you? I love that question. Wow, okay. So, you know, it means, honestly, I, I wish I had more of a connection to Lebanon because I've met so many incredible Lebanese people throughout my life, but I don't speak Arabic I don't have any real, I mean, let's face it, three generations is a long time. A hundred plus years is a long time. You know what I mean? So I'm, I have a yearning to go to Lebanon and to, to be a part of it a bit more than I have been. So that's what it means to me. Well, and it's funny because I feel very similar. I'm Ukrainian by birth. I have a large amount of Russian and Ukrainian students and people that I deal with all the time. And I've always wanted to go back and see what Kiev and Odessa look like. I'm not sure where I fit in, uh, but it, it is nice to nice to have a starting point, I guess. Uh, and it's funny because the further away I get, I don't know that I've passed a lot of traditions onto my my kids, and I'm feeling a little guilty about that. It's like, hmm. Oh yeah, you know. Where do you live? So I live in Los Angeles. Are you? And you're in Florida? Is that right? Yeah, it's funny. I spent 25 years in LA. I have, you have an LA vibe about you. Oh, okay. Where in LA are you? I, so I lived in Venice for years, but I've lived all over the West side. Right now I live right by Loyola Marymount, which is where I went to school. So I'm like a block from LMU right near the airport in Westchester, which is nobody knows Westchester in LA. Everybody knows Westchester. Oh my God. It's crazy. It's like a little hometown USA in LA, which is really cool because we got our little league and there's the 4th of July parade. And it's very, again, it's kind of like hometown USA, but in a big city. Well, it's funny because I I lived up in Van Nuys uh, for 25 years. I had a big home up there in a very residential area where, which I thought was rather unique because we, every house on the other blocks was 60 feet away from the curb line and like Marcus Welby's home is there and they would film every week and we would get money as a community because the trucks are so big and so pervasive (laughs) and we would have these massive parties and I loved my neighborhood so much up there. Do you miss LA? Do you miss it? You know what I miss? I miss the people, the culture, the fun, the movies, the everything that is LA. You know what I don't miss? Driving two hours to go to the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. At some point, my head wanted to explode. You know, I hosted the Laugh Factory on Sunset Boulevard for three years, uh, which is kind of cool. Most people don't know that. Uh, I've done 20 or 30 television series between hosting and acting. LA is my vibe. It's my jam. It's my everything. 
And at some point, it just kind of turned and got weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and the traffic got so hard that I'm like, I can't, I, I, I can't live in a place where I can only get to one appointment. That if I'm in Burbank and want to go to Culver City and then maybe out in Calabasas, it's never going to happen. Never. And you're like, you guys have to move. Um, when I it's first moved there in 1980, though, I lived in a one-bedroom shack on the canals of Venice. Oh, nice. It now goes for, like, for $2.5 million. Oh, we probably had more. Probably room. more. Oh, my God. Right. Probably more. This was a tiny little shack. I wish I'd kept it. I know. Uh, it's crazy. Well, then, you know, I lived like a like I lived right near uh, Speedway. So like I could see the ocean from my front yard. We had a jacuzzi in our front yard, but it was a tiny little house. So I was like, okay, we need to expand. You don't care. Venice, Venice yeah. had such a charm. For it. That's such a great memory for me. Oh, talk about yeah. earthy and fruit. And nuts and yeah. All right. So you've had quite a journey, though. So let's start with. Did you grow up in L.A.? I did. I, I'm one of the rare few. I was born in Samoa, the island, thus the name. But I only lived there for six months. So I've been in LA my whole life. The only other places that I've lived is New York City and London. I'm a city guy. So I only lived in London whoa, and New wait, York wait, for wait, about a year. Back. Go back. I was born in Samoa as to <laughs> Lebanese. That's my God. I, I'm sorry. We were stopping over. How did that happen? But, you know, most people say, are you in the military? No, my dad was teaching there. So he's just doing his dissertation for his PhD on Samoan culture, specifically how they are educated. It was a educational psychology uh, PhD. And so he was studying Samoans and I just happened to be born at that time. So it was just, and I've only been back once. We were supposed to go back last year, but with everything happening, we had to cancel our trip. So uh, it's an amazing country, amazing culture, fascinating uh, place to be born. And my was born in the seventies. So hippie parents like, oh, we'll name you Samoa. I love that. I bet the rock loves you. All right. So now you're in LA, you're growing up and what do you want to be when you're little? Baseball player, baseball player yeah. my whole life. I played all the way through college. Uh, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I'm like five, seven. I started playing at Loyola and everyone's like six, four. They've been playing in like really competitive leagues. So I was, I was out of my element a bit. And so I was like, okay, I pivoted and then I got into film. And so that's what I did out of school as I made my movie. So I made a feature film uh, after, after graduating. Which was? So I made a movie about the drug ecstasy. It's called Rolling, R-O-L-L-I-N-G. So it was a documentary style feature where it, it's kind of like if you've ever seen Ed Burns' movie, Sidewalks of New York, where the characters are yeah. basically giving interviews to the camera and intercut with that is the storyline. We took that same approach, but it was about the drug. So it's everyone from a drug dealer to a high school teacher, to a lawyer, to a doctor, to a raver, eight different storylines interweaving. And really the through line is this is their experience on this drug over one night where they all collide and meet at this warehouse party in Los Angeles. And so the film did really well. We took it all over the world, film festivals, got picked up for distribution, you know, Netflix and every, you know, it was on every, every possible platform it could be on. Um, but it was seven years. And as you know, being entertainment, it's, it's, you know, especially as an independent, you know, I didn't want to have, you know, somebody like telling me what to do. So it took seven years from the time I wrote the film in New York in 2003 until the time it was picked up in 2009. So I was like, I probably should pivot. And then in 2010, that's when I got into the renewable energy space and started that part of my journey. Wow. So my first feature film luckily was an audition. Uh, after graduating college, I went to New York and said, I'm going to do this. 
And it was for the film Splatter University, <laughs> which very, very low budget, but it turns out it's still here. 35 years later, Amazing. it is still uh, a film that people love. They love the character. And, uh, and I'm sorry that the, my, career, my career hit a certain point and then it didn't get a lot bigger, but I'm glad that I wasn't the producer of those movies because that's a very challenging <laughs> position. Acted in lots of them, but man, producing it and owning it and taking it around, it is. I give you a lot of credit for that. Now, do you not do that anymore at all? So I do want to make more films, but my story took, a, my life journey took a big pivot because I just randomly got into solar uh, specifically. So I joined this company. It was a new, relatively new company in Orange County called Varengo Solar. One thing led to another. I did really well with sales. I think my server experience as a waiter in a restaurant served me well, pardon the pun, because I knew how to set expectations. I knew how to have a conversation. I knew how to over-deliver on what I promised. And all these things that I learned from years of waiting tables, I applied to sales. So I set the company record for most sales. And they're like, oh, you should run a team. So I ran a team and, and set the company record for most sales for a team. And they're like, okay, train the whole company. So I trained the whole company. And then they're like, okay, you just lead all of sales. So I was the VP of sales <laughs> for the company. And then that led to me getting recruited by Solar City, which was owned by Elon Musk's cousins. And that's where I got into more of the learning and development and doing things like leadership training. That led to my journey at Tesla. So yeah, I mean, my, right, my so career took a got, pivot. Got, I love this. Uh, we actually have commercials on this show because it's not technically a podcast. It's actually a national, at least national radio show. And love I am it. fully produced love by it. an amazing team out in Arizona. And I want to take a pause and give my, a break to my sponsors. And uh, tell everybody that you're listening to the Forbes Fact. When we come back with Billy, we'll find out how hanging out with Elon Musk's cousins turned into the better part of his life. All right, I'm Forbes Riley. Don't go away. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network live wherever you go on iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market 
This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Everybody, welcome back. You know, during the break, we're actually still live on my Facebook. And I'm getting comments like, fun with Forbes. This is an amazing interview. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Elon Musk and love seeing the behind the scenes with you guys, which is part of why I do this. You know, I have a, a rather big birthday coming up this month. And I realized that one of the smartest things that I can do with my life at this point is one, be a little transparent about how I got here, but also share because I've had a crazy journey. And I love pulling that out, like hearing that Billy was born in Samoa, you know, just those things that no one ever asked those questions. And I really, I hate, I don't hate, that's not fair. I don't hate anything. I'm love, peace, and muffins. Um, I really don't, I, people are lately, because I'm on podcast probably three a day, send me a list of the questions I need to ask you. I'm like, I don't know, do your job. <laughs> Listen and be innovative and be interesting, right? Totally. So Billy, what's, um, why do you do what you do now? So I left Tesla in 2019. And after leaving, I said, okay, I, well, here's my background. I have a background in learning and development. I have a background in film. I've always been inquisitive. I love asking questions. And so podcasting was just the right fit. I started my show Inside Out in 2019. Last year, I was very active on LinkedIn and I ended up meeting a guy who said, I want to partner with you as a podcaster to build this company, Podify, to help other podcasters with their shows. So I started another podcast called For the Love of Podcasts where I interview podcasters and I started Podify, which is really a production house where we do everything A to Z from editing to videos to web development, helping podcasters, because it's a lot of work to do it all. And so we take some of that burden uh, yeah. off of people. Yeah, yeah you know. that's part of, what I want, part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I don't want to like skip over Elon Musk because he'll get mad at me if I don't ask about him. He always does. Um, did you, you work at Tesla? Tell me about that experience. It, I mean, it's unlike anything that I had ever, ever experienced in my life before, mainly because of the people, not just Elon, but everyone, including Elon, by the way. I mean, for, for me, I had the opportunity or I was one layer removed at my peak. I was one layer removed from Elon. So my boss reported to Elon. So that was surreal one, but it's like close to, you know, close to the sun, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, I had the opportunity to be on conference calls with him. The thing that stands out the most about him is his inquisitive nature, asking questions, like really trying to get to the root of whatever it is he's trying to solve. And then the other thing, which I think most people know, is he uses what's called first principles thinking, which is not reasoning by analogy, like, oh, these cars exist, so we should make a car like those cars, but incrementally better. He thinks things should be built from the ground up, thinking if this never existed before, and all we had to think about was, what are the laws of nature, like physics, that we have to take into account? Other than that, all else is fair game. And so, allowing us to not be rigid and thinking, oh, because this has been done before, it should be done just like that. That's why he's such an innovator. He asks questions and he uses first principles thinking. I didn't know there was a name for that. That's actually pretty clever. Huh. I like that. And so what was your position? What did you do there? So I started in onboarding. So my team created all of the new hire experience 
for any employee that started at Tesla globally. So we created Launch, which is like how you start your career. And my team did this all over the world. Anyone that starts and everyone from our Fremont factory, we would take them and give them tours of the factory. We'd let them do test drives of the vehicles. We wanted to be representative of the feeling of what it's like to start at this incredible company because guess what? They have high expectations. We need to over deliver on those expectations. So I'm very much about how do you create an immersive experience that people won't forget? And so the thing that I always focus on is what I call the peak end rule. So like, what is the high point? What is that thing that is going to blow people's minds? They're going to want to like tell their friends about, and then how do you end something? Because in psychology, People remember those high points and they remember something at the very, very end of an experience. And then I left Tesla as the global head of sales training and product training. So anybody that interfaces with a customer, my team would train them. And then that's, that was my last position there. Well, actually, this is a very interesting conversation. So I am on, um, I'm on a mission. There are very few female speakers at the level that I get to play at. In fact, I'm on tour right now. I'm the only female headliner between Deepak Chopra, Les Brown, Jack Canfield, and Damon John. But I have been a solopreneur. My dad was a magician and an inventor. And so I run multi-million dollar companies. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen this? Do you know what this is? Because you don't see this stuff on Clubhouse. (laughs) This is my, okay, this is my multi-million dollar fitness product. Yeah. It's called a spin gym. It actually rotates at 125,000 RPM. And in third world countries, you put a vial of blood on this and it spins so fast that it becomes a centrifuge. Oh, wow. And I've only sold this on home shopping. Sold a couple of million of them and not launched out to the world because there's a little issue that I'm having. And I'm, I'm not sure I'm alone. You know, there's only like one Elon. But imagine having a multi-million dollar company and two employees. Mm-hmm. You're like, how do you do that? Well, aside from outsourcing to manufacturing and my accountant, I don't know. I didn't know any other way because I'd never had staff and people. And so ran all this. And I knew and I actually draw this picture all the time. I was like, how do you magically have the second story of a house? Now, the first story should be all the team members and the foundation should be all the systems and processes. I don't have any of those. I just do this. And I would, I do it over and over again to the point I kind of look at it going, okay, the magic trick is only going to last so long. It's going to implode. Be careful here because I've never worked in a company. So Billy, my ears are going, oh my God, the whole onboarding thing, the experience of, because I, I, I'm kind of notorious for not having an assistant. They last, let's see, the last one lasted two days, nine days before she had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and maybe, and I'm like, okay, I, I, and I, I don't want to be the Murphy Brown. They don't even know what that reference is, but that seems to be, you're, you're hard to work with. I'm like, well, because I expect you to be a mind reader. Aren't you not a mind right. reader? <laughs> and I'm learning now and hopefully going to teach this because I'm not the only one. As a solopreneur, I think a lot of us are challenged with understanding the word delegation, the word team for real. And then this whole onboarding thing, the way you just said it, like just blows my mind right now. So if you were to construct a a little bit of a methodology that you would say to somebody who's a solopreneur, who's hit the ceiling, they're stressed out, they're doing it all themselves, they're trying to build funnels and they're working on their social media and they're on, it's going to explode. What would you say to them? Mm. Well, First of all, it's, it's normal that, as, as you said, an entrepreneur, that you're avoiding giving anyone responsibility because you want to own it all. Like, that's so common because the driver types know that they're going to get it done and they're going to get it done to the level that they expect. So, you have to remember that your superpower is your superpower. And how do you offload the things that maybe you're good at, but you're not in love with doing? And there's probably somebody that could do as good, if not better job than you. 
So the way I think about this is like four steps. One is figure out what you could eliminate from your, what do you not need to do? Because we always are doing way too many things we don't need to do. That's the first thing. Second thing is there's so many tools and systems out there. Be relentless in finding out what are the automation tools that exist. Like be relentless, like figure out there's always a way to automate. The third thing is the delegation of that to someone else. So find somebody that's amazing and give them the opportunity to shine. Give them the opportunity to go above and beyond and do better than what you would do. And then the final thing is you do those things. Like what you're doing right now, Forbes, is that's you. That's your superpower. It's communicating. It's conversations. It's being who you are. And so if you do those things, if you eliminate, automate, delegate, and do, those are the four things. And then the last piece, when you onboard somebody, the most important thing is that you give them a chance to meet other people within your organization because people ultimately want connection. And so if you could do a really good job of connecting them with other people who are working within your company, they're going to feel a sense of community and inclusion. They're going to feel included in the conversation. And that's really important from the very beginning. And so now you would do this. The other thing I love though, is this whole onboarding experience. Do you do that in your company? Have created an onboarding experience? Yeah. Well, so my company's brand new. So we, we launched our company last year and my business partner does all of the day-to-day operations. And so, yes, when we do our, when we, when we thought about our initial onboarding, we wanted to make sure everybody started at the same time. So he had his existing company and then we were adding new people to the company because it was shifting from a digital advertising agency to a podcast production company. And so we made sure that we waited until everybody was identified as the key player and we hi- and then we brought them on all at the same time. And then we had a three-week training period where they would understand the culture, what we're all about, what we stand for, what are our values. Okay, what I'm gonna get, I've, got people, I've got people going nuts over the tips that you're giving. I'm going to drill this down. A three-week training, my mind goes, what would, how do you do that? I actually want to break it down a little bit. You bring somebody on new. What's a three-week training to understand culture? What do you do? Well, I think the thing to think about here is there's the technical part of it where you need to understand how to do your job. And then there's the culture part of it where you understand what the ethos of the company is and what we stand for. And so for anybody starting a company, it doesn't need to be three weeks, four weeks, one week. It needs to be the right amount of time for your company. Actually for us, it was three weeks, but it ended up being a month long of before we even started taking clients, it was a month long period. So we were giving them things to practice on. So for us, it's podcast editing. So it's like, we wanted them to make sure that they understood like what we think a completed episode looks like. If there was issues with it, we want to make sure that we're over delivering on what we promise. So we want to make sure we have a, a certain sensibility when it comes to our video and our design work and like everything that we're doing. We have super high standards because both me and my business partner are very, we're perfectionists, bottom line. We're perfectionists. And, and, and so I think we also have to temper that with landing the plane, getting things done. And so finding that balance between perfection and actually completion. And so making sure that people were working at a fast pace, but also making sure they understood what level of quality we deem as the, as the barrier to that we needed to get past. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes more than sense. In fact, I've got Renell over here. She says, I've, I've never been exposed to this level of social media. My God, this is awesome. Such an important element. Terry writes, oh, I wish I had worked for you. <laughs> I do too. The only thing that I, two little regrets in business. One, that I didn't really 
a service and apprentice for a very successful woman. My mom was very beautifully middle-class and adorable and had plastic on the couches that we got from the thrift store because we didn't have a whole lot of money. And, but the most loving woman when you met her ever, uh, but she'd buy, you know, $1 t-shirts and never a $10 t-shirt, that kind of thing. And so when I got to a certain level of what I wanted, I actually lived with the graces, this billionaire family, because I just, I didn't know. And I knew I didn't know because I watched movies and there was one time when Mrs. Grace were in the car and she turns to me, I'm like in my early twenties. And she says, long before social media, would you get Louis Vuitton out of the trunk? And I said, who's in the trunk? And she looked at me, she's like, oh, you'll learn. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will. Yes. Did they? Now I know. I'm like, oh my God, what an idiot. Um, but I learned that. And the second, I would have loved to work for a company because even, now this is ridiculous, right? If you look at all the things that I've created, you go, you don't have any of this. I'm like, employee handbook, manuals, how things are done. I don't. <laughs> and that is why we've gotten to a point where we work very fast, get things done, but we need to offload this. So this is to me like, I know this sounds so basic to you. I can feel that, but it's like music to my ears and people are going, oh my God, they're lighting up all over the internet. Well, people need to know what their, what their role is within the organization. Like there's a mission that all companies have. The employee needs to understand what their part is in serving that mission. How do they contribute? So for Tesla, it's accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy. We know that. That's the, that's the mission of the company. And everyone plays a role in serving that mission. And when they feel like they are genuinely contributing to that mission, that's fulfilling. Everybody wants purpose. The beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur is you define what that purpose is because it's, it's you. You're the center of the mission and why that company exists. But when you work for a company, that mission exists before you even arrived. And so once you arrive, part of onboarding is understanding, okay, now that I'm here, how am I, what's my stake in this? How am I contributing to this mission so that I could feel the same purpose that the founders feel or the founder in the case of, of Elon? Right. And, you know, it's funny because I've got a bunch of people here. We did just bring on someone I think is pretty amazing. Um, but I have people all the time ask me, what can I do for you? And I haven't really outlined how I can have people help me, which would help them. I know we have a great company that we run here. So that's my, my new little thing here. So Podify, um, we got about three minutes to our break. You started a podcast before you decided to actually run this company. When we come back. I want to talk to you about, I started a training called OPP. And it was initially other people's podcasts how you leverage to build your list and your credibility, other people's podcasts. And then it grew into other people's platforms because I also create speaker, you know, people who can speak. I've been on television my whole life crafting these things going, oh, you know what? If you build your personal brand in a way that people will want you. And so before we go, I got a lot of my students listening. Um, when you look for guests for your show, what do you expect? How do you find your guests? Well, like anything, it's about building a relationship. I think the, the more you can understand who that person is and what would be the reason they would say yes, the more you're going to have an approach that's built on intention as opposed to spray and pray. Like if you just send a bunch of blanket emails that don't have any personalization to it, that's a mistake. So an example is I just had the opportunity to meet somebody on Clubhouse. He's very successful. I have interacted with him a few times in a few rooms and then I sent him a note and I was very specific about what I love about him and why I would love to have him on the show. You got to be genuine and humble. And remember, it's not about you. It's about them. Don't ever think that you should be 
overselling yourself and pitching yourself, how do you make them feel like a rock star and a superhero and making sure you talk about what specifically about them stand out and make sure it's not something that everybody else says? You're just like music to my ears right now, because that's actually, I also teach the art of pitching. Having been an infomercial host for my entire life, talking to a TV camera, I don't even get to talk to people. How do you get them to want to take their credit card out? And so I've been preaching those skills and you sound like we've been, sound like we were in cahoots before we had this interview, <laughs> well, we were, which is so nice. All right. Um, two minutes. Uh, advice for new people who want to start a podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. I love this. Okay. Number one, what is your intention? Why are you doing the show? I think some people, there's really three buckets. One bucket, it's a hobby or a passion project. Another bucket is it's business development. It's supporting an existing business. A third bucket is you want to be the next Joe Rogan. Okay, let's take that third bucket out. Unless you With have, hair. Look. <laughs> If you have an existing Actually, audience, I got to interrupt you. I got to interrupt you because this is too good. I, I, my, my team just said I got a minute left. Then you go buy the banana. <laughs> I have to say, I do not want to be the next Joe Rogan. Joe wants to be me, but that's okay. So, I'm just joking with you. Hey guys, um, <laughs> listen up. We got our last, uh, our last segment coming up. We're going to take a quick break here. Say hi to our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to find out one about having your own podcast, being an ideal podcast guest, and maybe how to monetize it. That's an interesting conversation we've not got into just yet with Billy. Um, we're going to be right back after this message. Do not go away. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. If you hate going to the gym, but want to shed that extra weight, finally get a flat stomach and tight toned arms, we have the most unique solution. And get this, it's fun and takes less than five minutes, two times a day. Developed by Fitness Hall of Fame inductee and TV health expert, Forbes Riley. The Spin Gym is the most compact, low-impact, resistance exercise ever developed. This simple handheld device provides the most unique fat-burning, metabolic-boosting workout suitable for all fitness levels. You've seen it on TV and in print with more than 2 million sold. What are you waiting for? Get your Forbes Riley Spin Gym at buyspingym.com. Order now and discover how easy and fun it can be to get in the very best shape of your life in just five minutes. Guaranteed. There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Sophia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Sophia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You 
are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody, if you're coming back, you're understanding that Joe Rogan just said publicly he wants to be the next Forbes Riley. I find that so powerful. I think TMZ is opening up with all of that. And Joe and I both started hosting TV shows. He went the Fear Factor route, and I did a Disney show on how to make cupcakes. I don't know. How did he get the good job? (laughs) We all had the same agent. I had him, myself, and Ryan Seacrest all had the same agent at some point. I will tell you, there's a very different world about being a guy in that world and a girl. Same thing in speaking on stage. That's a little bit of my platform. And not that I preach or teach it. It's just that it's a lot easier. You know why it's different from being a guy to a girl? No, why? Comes down to one thing, wardrobe. Think about this. If you put a girl in a suit, she looks like a newscaster. If you put, I wanted to be a game show host. There's no female game show host. Why is that? Because all the game show boys wear khaki pants, a white shirt, and a blue blazer. Doesn't matter who you are, Bob Barker, all the guys. That's right, Jeopardy, doesn't matter. You put a girl in a dress and they have to stick her back there like Vanna or they stick her turning letters like Price is Right or the little suitcases for Howie Mandel. Interesting, they're all dressed very sexy. There's no real, oh, but if you are kind of neutral, you can host like Ellen or Oprah or Whippy. Hmm. I just never I knew think what you to could wear. do it though. I mean, the, the you oh. know, it's, it's you could, there's plenty of game shows that you could, you know, for sure, do already, do right now. So it's, you know. Right, I know. Well, that actually was my dream. And I went off to Club Med and I created for 10 years, I worked on and off for Club Med. And one of them was I designed the game show week. And I made them create sets so I could host the dating game and Hollywood Squares and Match Game. And I love, love, love it. And the funny thing is, at 18 years of age, if you go on YouTube, my guys, and look up my name in $20,000 Pyramid, you'll see me with Dick Clark and Dick Cavett. And I got to the big circle. Wow. I know. Right. That's a fun bit of trivia, right? All right. So getting back to you in podcasting, because we've got just a short amount of time left. And Billy, you got oodles of information here. So um, one of my first podcasts was when podcasting started. I ended up with John Lee Dumas on EO Fire, Entrepreneurs on Fire. I mean, I'm his eighth interview. Mm. And then he started publishing that he was making $250,000 a month off his podcast. Billy, what would you recommend to people? How do you monetize this thing? Well, he's, his story is great because what he did is he took massive action and he started doing a daily podcast. So going back to what I said, I think most people fall into that middle bucket where they're supporting a business. And, and that's really smart because you could look at this from a networking play. Your guests could be your clients. So if you're a coach, if you're a consultant, if you have a service business, you could create a show where the guests that you bring onto your show could be potential clients or maybe your audience is potential customers as well. Now, if you want to grow a massive show, guess what? It takes massive work because podcasts, you throw it out there and no one will find it unless you do the legwork on getting it out there. Most people think they should spend 90% of their time on the content, 10% of the time on marketing. And I say inverse that. Switch it around because if you really want your show to be found, it's up to you. It's not like you put it into a distribution channel like a YouTube or a spot, you know, any other number of, 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 of um platforms where it could find people that are already there. Podcasts are very, very hard to find. So here's what you do. You know where your audience is. First, you got to know who your audience is so you can know where to find them. And then when you know where to find them, it starts small. It starts having those conversations, ones and twos and threes. 
you're not going to talk to everybody right away, but you got to have long-term vision as a podcaster. So, what do you do? I would say think of your podcast more about getting it to a niche or a niche, depending on who you ask how to say that word, and find out how you can best serve the be an advocate for your audience. And it's okay to have a title that's boring and descriptive as opposed to clever <laughs> and unique. Meaning like if you have I a social, social media marketing podcast, okay, I know exactly what that's about. But if it's like something that's super abstract, people aren't going to know what it's about. So figure out a title where it's keyword rich and people will know what it's, what it's all about. And then get yourself immersed in wherever your audience is. If it's on Facebook, if it's on Twitter, if it's on Reddit, if it's some forum, wherever they're at, become part of that community and really build those relationships one at a time. You do your best, you know, um, attempt to make sure that you're with them, not speaking to them, but that you're with them. And then guess what? Over time, your show will build, but it takes years, not months. And then last thing I'll say is make sure that you are doing everything you can to get feedback so you can make your show better over time. And that comes with the conversation with your audience. When they feel involved, when they feel a part of it, that's when you build a community. Oh man, I'm, you are priceless. You're absolutely the right, actually you are such a right fit for my audience right now because they're talking to us and so unbelievably helpful. So I, I got into it the other day in Clubhouse. I was hosting a room on pitching and one of the guys said, you know, you should, marketing tips. And he says, you should start a podcast. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. You should not start a podcast. I personally don't think you should start a podcast. So you're on your first hundred of them. Leverage that, showing that you have the skills, like you said, to market even that content. What's your take on it? Well, I think, look, you have to recognize that when you start doing anything, you are going to suck. So your first episode will be worse than your fifth. And your fifth will be worse than your tenth. And I- to quote you, wait, what did you just say? When you, have, when you start anything, you are going to suck. You're gonna I suck. love that. You're right going to suck. You know, in, unless you have years of experience like you did, Forbes, most people, when they get behind a microphone, are going to be dreadful. And so you just got to know that. And so whatever your training ground is, if it's Clubhouse, if it's doing lives, if it's making videos for LinkedIn, get some sort of training ground to get yourself really good. Or maybe your training ground is the podcast. And so maybe you go in and you're that first bucket. You have a, a passion project or a hobby show where you're practicing and getting a feel for it. Maybe that blows up or maybe it doesn't, but you have to recognize that you will get better over time. And so starting a podcast is hard. I don't advise everybody start a podcast, but I think anyone who does it should know that when they do it, it is not something that you're going to see instant results from. And so get, get used to the fact that you're going to be talking to a microphone and only a handful of people are going to be listening for the first few shows. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you have a couple thousand people that listen, but to get to the numbers like Joe Rogan or others to where you're getting the true advertising dollars, you need to have 50, a hundred, 200,000 downloads an episode, or even a few million downloads an episode to get into the real money. Now, one thing I'll, I'll add is if you have a hyper niche, let's say you have something like my friend, Harry Duran, it's on vertical farming, super niche. Like, what is that? I don't even know, but we know that anybody listening knows that market. They're in that market. You could get a sponsor for that specific type of show where they know you're speaking to the people that they also want to speak to. And so that's why going with the niche is really helpful because then people will actually pour into that show and you could expand over time into other shows or do other things, but start, start small and then expand out. And, and again, I think you could always think about it from a perspective of, 
make sure you are able to be a, a media company, not just a podcaster. So what's your social media following? What's your, what are your total numbers? Not just your downloads. Do you have people viewing your Instagram or your LinkedIn or YouTube? And then you could speak to your sponsors with a bit more of a breadth of what you're offering them. Maybe you're on a hundred podcasts a year. And that's something where you could talk about the fact that your sponsor is X. So all of those things will help. I'm just loving you. What a, what a great guest you are. Oh, thanks. Uh, and probably oh, a very good co. I'm hoping, I'm, I think I'm being on your show tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Can't what wait. do you advise? Thank you. Does your company handle, so the podcast itself is one thing, producing and getting that made. Marketing is another thing. What is the after part? When I see now people cutting pieces up and putting them on Instagram and doing the ancillary marketing beyond, beyond that, is that what your company offers or teaches or what do you suggest about that? Yes, we offer that. So we do a, a few things. We do repurposing of content. So right now, short form, especially sub one minute is super hot on, on YouTube shorts or Instagram reels. Get your content really short. So think about it from this perspective. It's a memeable video. What is so interesting about that episode that everyone will want to share it? Because ultimately the way shows blow up is not because you're great at marketing. It's because you're great at finding what people will share with other people. And what happens when we share something or why do we share something? We're surprised. Something so unique, so novel, so different that we have to share it with somebody else because we want to release the cognitive burden of being like, oh, I just saw this thing. I have to share it, right? So create this moments with your show that make other people want to share it. So that's part one. The second part is make sure that you use anything and test. Like for example, Facebook marketing with one of my clients, Dr. Laura Berman, she's doing amazing. She's got a, a, a I show. I know on. Dr. Laura, she was on my talk show years ago. I, I I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we produce her show, The Language of Love. And she, you know, she's doing things that will help her show grow. But because people know who she is, when we think about targeting and advertising, it's not just about Dr. Laura, it's Dr. Laura and the subject. It's Dr. Laura and the subject and maybe who she's worked with and some of her previous radio shows. And so we can get a much more targeted approach to find our audience. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. Find your people, find your tribe, find your audience. And then as far as like the other, the other piece of, of advertising and promoting your show, remembering that, you know, when you create these short segments and, and what my company is able to do, it, it, has to under, it has to deliver in a way in which other people will make sure that you are the one who is, is, actually shining and that you're giving everyone else that's listening a chance to spread the word for you and make it easy as make it as easy as possible for them. The more easy you make it for them to share, the more likely they will. And then create contests and other things that are fun and exciting. And that's what your company offers? Yeah. I mean, anything that you want from a production and from a promotion standpoint, we do it. We do web development, we do advertising, we do repurposing, creating short form video content. All of that are the things that we do. And we're all about partnering. I, I look at anybody that I work with as a partner. I don't look at it as, uh, oh, this is a new client. I, I want to work with you to produce your show, to make your show shine, to make your show as successful as you want it to be and to reach the goal and intention that you have for your show. Everybody's got a different intention. What's yours? And what do you want from your show, we're going to help you achieve that. Nice. Remind everybody how we met. So we met through Clubhouse and you're amazing because you come into the room and always bring so much value, Forbes. And, and one of the things that I appreciate about you amongst many things is that 
you inspire other people to do what they know they want to do, but are afraid to do. And that is such a gift, that inspiration that you unlock their potential by sharing your journey, by sharing everything that you've done. And also by being a trailblazer, especially as a woman, as a woman in, let's face it, male dominated fields like public speaking and even entertainment, you have done what others haven't. And that's so inspiring and empowering. And so guess what? Other people learn and listen. And I've heard people's reaction. I've I've listened. Even when I wasn't on stage with you, I was in the audience and I was hearing what people were saying about the impact that you've made on them. And so Clubhouse is such an amazing platform for you and I to meet. We maybe wouldn't have met otherwise. And guess what? Now I'm on your show and, and tomorrow you're on my show. It's an amazing way to gain access to other people that you might not otherwise meet. Well, I actually, there's a quote you just said. I wrote down the time about who I am, and I appreciate that. Love that word, trailblazer. And it's fun because I don't even think people even tapped into that. I mean, I helped create the X Games for ESPN with uh, Stuart Scott. Like, really? How did you, who are they? Who is this person? So thank you, because for so many years, I didn't matter to anybody. And I will tell you, it is uh, a very nice full circle for me personally to know that anything that I do or say actually matters to anybody. So without being humble, it's real. That's actually how I feel. So it's kind of, it's, it's been great. But you are as real as they come. You are as real as they come. I mean, let's, let's just call it as I see it. You know, you always are speaking your truth. What's you say what other people are afraid to say. And that right there allows other people to do the same that maybe were intimidated or afraid to do so. You're going to make me cry. That's actually a very powerful, that's very powerful what you just said. Because I am also teaching now and giving people voices in a way, you know, off camera, we've only got two minutes, but you mentioned about how acting and other things may have played into my ability to do this. Most people don't have the skills. Most people got kicked out of, you know, you get out of college and you're there and you're like sitting on the street corner going, who's supposed to hire me with this piece of paper called a resume and what do I do with it? And so I value that very much. Uh, One minute closing thoughts to the world. Oh, well, I, I think that ultimately what we all have to do is, is be our, our true self. I think we often play this comparison game. Uh, comparison is the, is the thief of joy. So remember, you're only competing against yourself. So how do you get 1% better than you were yesterday? And how will you be 1% better tomorrow than you are today? And the way in which you do that is by being honest with yourself about where you can make improvements and not just on your opportunities, but on your strengths. I'm a big believer in the strengths perspective, which my uh, cousin actually formulated this. That's four He's- seconds. Yeah, no. Just keep, <laughs> keep doubling down on your strengths. I love that. And comparison is the thief of joy. Billy Samoa, Salibi, you are awesome. I will see you tomorrow on your podcast. Give me information so I can publish it here so everybody can come join us tomorrow. And thank you, my dear friend, for being part of my show. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. This Bye. was awesome. Mwah. Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll see you again soon.